Talk Back Matters from the Salvos. I'm make a date for golf And you can bet your life it rains I tried to give a party And the guy upstairs complains I guess I'll go through life Just catching colds and missing planes Everything happens to me Are you somebody who complains a lot? Do you know someone else who complains a lot? Look, it's so easy to be negative at times and easy to fall into the negative downward spiral of complaining more and more. And the older we get, maybe the more we complain. But then there's the abnormal complainer who takes it to a whole new level. We're going to explore that this week and some very useful ways of dealing with people in our lives that we know who are consistent complainers, along with something to help those of us caught in the downward spiral of complaining. And we may very well have a good reason to, but hopefully this will put a whole new light on it and give you a whole new hope. Ewan works with psychiatric triage in an emergency department and is currently doing his PhD on mental health risk assessment. He recently wrote an article on the identification and management of persistent complainers. And now I've caught Ewan um, on the phone. He's just got home, actually, and I've been able to get him just before he turns Xbox on. (laughs) Hi, Chris. Sorry to keep you from Xbox, but uh, thanks for joining us. That's okay. I'll complain later. (laughs) Ewan, how did the concept of abnormal or persistent complaining develop? Chris, it's really interesting. It actually started out as a legal term and in the 1800s, and, and initially the court started by determining if a person was what's known as a vexatious litigant, and it meant that they were tying up so much of the court's time with voluminous and frivolous lawsuits or legal complaints, um, so it meant that they would have to go to the court to get permission to take legal action on certain matters. Now, it's pretty rare. Our first in Victoria was 1930, and I think the figure is like under 20 people since then have been called vexatious litigants, and that's a legal term, and in psychiatry, we call it a persistent or abnormal complainer or querulous. And any cases people might be familiar with? Yeah, Chris, one that's in the public domain is obviously Julian Knight was found to be a vexatious litigant. Um, Some of his requests, just a couple included, he uh, wanted to stop prison guards from inspecting his mail. He wanted access to the prison um, guard staff rosters. So a lot of taxpayers' money was spent and, and the judge deemed that this was a burden to taxpayers, so he was deemed a vexatious litigant. So what's the typical profile of a persistent complainer? It's a really uh, interesting question. At the risk of sounding bleeding obvious, it's an overwhelming sense to complain to the point that it has huge impacts on their social life, their psychological well-being and often their financial well-being as well. So we're not talking about people, Chris, that are big whingers. And I know the ones, you know, the people we see whenever we catch up with them. How you doing? (laughs) Did you catch the TV the other night? Oh, TV, ordinary shows. Isn't that lovely? Oh, too hot weather. You know know the type, don't you? That everything seems to have a negative flavour, but we're not actually talking about that. We're talking about people that's complaining consumes their whole life. Some end up incarcerated because, you know, it ends up in aggressive behaviour, for example. So it's really all-consuming to the point that it is absolutely everything to them. Now, I mean, you asked a typical profile. It's actually quite controversial, Chris. I see a lot of literature says, well, it's usually men. They're usually aged about 30 to 50 and generally male. Um, But there's also a lot of literature that talks about, you know, there's a jump in retirees. So 
You know, generally some of the psychological profiling is they seem to be quite ambitious but not necessarily achieved much in life particularly. They're very self-assertive and they're known to be quite egotistical but also can be a little bit fragile as well, you know, irritable. Um, they'll have difficulty with authority. Often they're socially isolated and, you know, often that's because of the, the complaining that's got so out of control and they have really strained personal relationships. But I guess the real identification is not so much in who, I, who they are, but how they complain. So why would they complain? There's primary and there's secondary reasons. Um, look, a, a secondary reason might be they suffer from a delusion or a perceptual illness, and we're going like a schizophrenia, and that's kind of excluded from the profile of the typical persistent or abnormal complainer that we're looking at. So we look at the primary reason for complaining. So they might be seeking justice. They might just be angry or upset about something. You often see a lot of males, particularly when they're going through a divorce or the legal process might spiral into abnormal complaining. It might be something that's quite opportunistic um, and they might see something that's in it for them. As I mentioned before, retirees, it might just become an all-consuming hobby and get way out of control. It could be general dissatisfaction with an agency or a legal decision that just spirals right out of control. It could also be in relation to attachment disorders or a personality disorder. And I think it's also worth noting because we don't want to over-pathologise this too much. Sometimes the complaints are quite legitimate, or at least the complaint in the beginning was legitimate, but it got way out of control. I never miss a thing I've had the measles and the mumps And every time I play this My partner always drums I guess I'm just a girl who never looks before she jumps Everything happens to me So how do they complain? Now this is interesting, Chris, and it's in lots and many different ways. But when you talk with someone, whether it be a friend or someone that you're dealing with, they'll often ruminate about the complaint. They will just talk about the complaint incessantly, and the initial complaint that they were complaining about gets lost in a whole new range of complaints. Um, you know, they might ignore questions you're asking and just keep talking about the complaints that they have. Um, you can ask pretty much anything, and it just seems to wind back to that. Um, if you meet with them, it's likely they'll have a lot of correspondence. They'll bring in you every little thing that they've had regarding the matter, everyone they've complained to, every resolution that they've had or they haven't had, and they'll have it with them, and often at all times. You might be talking with them and they'll want to record or they'll want to write down everything you say or you advise. Their expectations for resolution are likely to be extremely unrealistic. Um, the correspondence that they write themselves is going to be voluminous. It'll be pages. You'll have things repeated. They'll highlight things. Wow. They'll put, you know, sentences across the margins. You can expect a lot of exclamation marks and question marks. It's going to be messy. It's going to be unstructured. You'll see words written in capitals and underlines. They will write to multiple people with intricate detail and it's poorly structured and off the point. New complaints will come up, Chris. Um, you'll meet with them. They'll bring you correspondence that they've had from politicians, uh, from police, from lawyers, maybe the health commissioner, from councils, whoever. You might find them also, Chris, grandstanding about important people. You know, might say the Prime Minister's office is involved with this, but they might have just sent a letter to the Prime Minister's office and they say, I've even heard from the Prime Minister and they show you this general letter which, you know, thanks for your correspondence sort of thing. Um, so that type of grandstanding, it's not often for them to have 
mobile phone numbers or phone numbers of people that are in the media or bring articles in the local papers that they've cut out that has to do either with complaints they've made or where they've been quoted or the issue that they have, you know, an issue with. So um, quite a lot of correspondence is going to come across with them. And Chris, I mean, if you see them in a professional capacity, they're going to, or if you're a friend, they're going to show up without appointment. You know, they'll call you regularly. They'll try and seek out your counsel in ways that you don't agree to, like phoning or texting or Facebooking if you're silly enough to have, you know, everyone on Facebook if you work in the the psychiatric business. Um, They might complain if you can't see them. Um, They're likely to complain to your manager or anyone who'll listen. And, you know, Chris, it's a lot. So we call it a bushfire of complaints. It basically means it starts small, but it spreads and it causes a lot of damage. To me. Ewan is a specialist from the Psychiatric Triage Department in a Melbourne Hospital. Next week, Ewan explores better ways to help people we know who are, even to a lesser degree, consistent complainers, and how we can protect ourselves from abnormal complainers. And what about protecting ourselves from becoming out of control with our own complaining? In fact, in the ancient scriptures, in Philippians 2, chapter 14, God reminds us, when it comes to our own life, do everything without complaining or arguing. Live clean, innocent lives. Hold firmly to the word of life. This is Light and Life. To contact us, go to salvos.org.au slash radio.